Hey, welcome to the second teaching in our value series here at Neighbors Church. My name is Dan Braga, and my wife, Alexis, and I, and a newly forming team, we are so excited about planting this new community of faith. We just landed a place. It looks like we're going to be launching on the campus of San Diego State University, 38,000 students, massively secular environment. It's going to be like Daniel and Babylon. We're going to be right in the center of all of these housing areas, and it's a fantastic open door for our church to launch on the campus of SDSU. So I've opted to open our church uh, with our very first teaching series on our values, our values, uh, the things that we hold most important. And it's actually probably more accurate to call these values our filters, but a teaching series called Neighbors Filters would be kind of weird. So these values of stillness, and simplicity and spirit, as we walk through them, they're going to set a foundation for us. And they're going to filter how, as a community, we make decisions and why we make the decisions that we make and the way that we act in the world. And so simplicity is going to filter. Are we keeping things simple? Is this overly complex? Are we overdoing it right now? Stillness is what we're going to talk about today. It's going to filter how we make decisions and the actions that we take. Now, simplicity itself, which we talked about last week, it compels us to intentionally reduce the clutter and the complexity of our lives down to essential foundations. And we explored two fundamental truths from the Gospel of John. First, first truth, there is a God and he made everything, including us. Second truth, when we choose to trust and receive God's love and then respond with loyal obedience to that love, then we're living out of our true identity as loved children, and we really don't need anything else. So that teaching is now up. You guys can go listen to it if you haven't heard it yet. And so for the next three Sundays, we're going to dig into our second value of stillness. Stillness. It was the 17th century mathematician and philosopher Blaise Pascal, and he said, the sole cause of man's unhappiness is that he does not know how to stay quietly in his room. In 2014, a team of social psychologists from the University of Virginia and Harvard, they used a series of studies to measure humans' perceived discomfort with simply sitting by themselves for varying lengths of time with nothing but their thoughts. So each of these studies, it was unique in its process and scope, but all of these studies yielded the same result. Namely, we hate being alone with nothing but our thoughts. In study seven of the 11 that these researchers did, they had the participants do the requisite time alone in the privacy of their own homes. 32% of their participants said that they actually ended up cheating. That is, they couldn't complete the time without having to distract themselves with music or with their phone or something. Now, study 10 was absolutely epic. Uh, participants received the same standard instructions. They were to go into a, ba- uh, a room with no- nothing on the walls, just a barren room, and they were to, uh, quote, entertain themselves with their thoughts. And in the case of Study 10, it was for 15 minutes. Now, if they wanted to, uh, I love PhD researchers. They're just, I think they're a little bit unhinged. With these undergrads that were doing these experiments, These researchers told them if they wanted to, in their 15-minute time of being with just their thoughts, they could administer an electric shock during the thinking period by pressing a button. Now, the researchers, they went to some length to explain that the primary goal was 
for these these undergrads to entertain themselves with nothing but their thoughts, and that the decision to receive a shock, to self-administer a shock, it was entirely up to them. <laughs> the results were shocking. I mean, pun intended. Hashtag dad joke. Sorry. 25%, listen to this, 25% of the women administered an average of one to four shocks in the 15-minute period rather than being alone with their thoughts. <laughs> now, here's, here's where it just gets goofy. 67% of the men, so imagine, you know, 18 to 24-year-old undergrad males sitting in a room by themselves with nothing but their thoughts for 15 minutes Given the choice to shock themselves, 67% of the men gave themselves at least one shock during the thinking period. And then this is my favorite. Uh, The scientific vernacular or lingo calls this one guy the outlier. Uh, We would just call him a complete doofus. This guy shocked himself in the 15-minute period 190 times. (laughs) That means that every 4.7 seconds, this doofus was like, Oh my gosh, I'm with my thoughts, I'm with my thoughts, oh! And he would shock himself. Oh my gosh, I'm with my, oh, my thoughts, my thoughts, oh! And he would shock, him, shock himself. Oh, this, this study just cracks me up, obviously. The question that is begged here is why? Why would humans rather administer an electric shock to divert their attention from their wandering thoughts? What, what is going on with us? We are hardwired to have our attention focused on something. So much so that these participants, they found it difficult to just sit with their thoughts. And so they actually found something to distract themselves with, even though it was painful, this electric shock. Now, in our current cultural moment, we find that our attention is constantly moving from one thing to the next. It's not that we can't focus as humans. It's that our focus is in chaos. There's this unending barrage of attention-grabbing things. And that attention-grabbing that's constantly going on, it's creating low-grade fatigue in all of us, if not full-blown exhaustion. It's actually robbing us of our full potential as productive contributors to this world. And it's creating a sense of movement, but we're not actually going anywhere. This state of being, the low-grade fatigue, the constant chaos of our focus and attention being just distracted all over. The the state of being is actually opposite of God's will for the world and for humans. And so at Neighbors, our value of stillness, that's not just about stopping and sitting uncomfortably with a room in a room with our with just our wondering thoughts. That's not what stillness is. Stillness is the intentional decision to slow down to stop moving, and to focus all of our attention upon God, to know him more fully and obey him more perfectly. I want to read that just one more time. Stillness is the intentional decision to slow down, stop moving, and focus all of our attention upon God to know him more fully and obey him more perfectly. Ultimately, we humans have been hardwired to focus all of our attention on God. And from that focused attention on God, we are to go forth into the world and produce for him. And so stillness sets that truth. Our value of stillness says, have I focused my attention on God? 
Have I centered my life on him before I go out into the world to accomplish what he wants through my life? Stillness is actually more of a posture of heart. Stillness is a way of being in the world, and it's formed by ordering the disorder of our lives and minds all in the centerpiece of God, his love, his word, and his will. Stillness is the place where we become aware and attuned to what action is of God, from him, and for him, versus what actions are our own attempts to just build our own kingdoms, or worse yet, what actions are our own attempts to just distract ourselves from the chaos that we're experiencing in our unfocused lives. So the Bible actually begins with God bringing order to disorder and creating space for humans to be with him and work for him. I'm going to read from Genesis 1, verses 1 through 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Those Hebrew words that are translated in our English Bibles by the NIV as formless and empty and darkness— Those are all heavily freighted theme words that carry tons of meaning through the rest of the Bible. So those particular words, formless, empty, darkness, they carry tones of calamity and danger and fear, disorder, even death as as you find them on your way through the Old Testament. These words, they are explaining things that are already in direct opposition to God's will for his creation and for all humans. And what I want us to see here is from Genesis 1, in the very first two verses, from the very beginning, the Holy Spirit is already there, hovering over the darkness and the chaos and the disorder. And out of the chaos, God speaks and there there comes light, and he creates land, and the, the Holy Spirit is superintending that with his wisdom. And then God creates a garden as a place for humans to be attentive to him and obey him as their creator. And so the imagery of the garden experience for Adam and Eve is one of humans who were perfectly attuned to God, undistracted as they walk in the cool of the garden with him. And it was in that place, the garden, this place of focused attention, that Adam and Eve would receive wisdom from God for living well and cultivating creation, which was our original mandate. Now, that dark disorder, that calamity, that chaos that we see from the very beginning, it never stops attempting to thwart God's good intentions. Never. So, when we get to Genesis 3, there's there's a talking snake, uh, and I recognize for a lot of us that's very strange. It was very strange for me when I first became uh, a believer in Jesus and started reading the Bible. We will talk about the talking snake a lot at Neighbors Church. Suffice it to say, there's something dark and disordered in this entity, this serpent in the garden. And this talking snake literally distracted Adam and Eve from their attentive focus on God. And in their distraction, the snake deceived them. They listened to the serpent's words, and they were disloyal to God. This cast them and us as their progeny back into chaos and disorder and finally death. Biblical authors are telling us is that this disorder and chaos, it it is somehow mysteriously catalyzed by 
an enemy of God. Here, this talking snake, uh, later to be called Satan or the accuser. And so it's catalyzed by this evil enemy of God, but then this disorder and chaos is fueled by our own deceived state, by our own sin. So the unceasing distraction of our minds and the roller coaster of unfocused activity in our lives, that may very well be Satan's greatest tactic at keeping us from returning to that attuned and obedient relationship with the God who loves us. And so the Holy Spirit from our text, he is always hovering over our chaos and disorder. God, the Holy Spirit, he's just waiting for us to slow down and to become present and aware of him and of his words so that he can order the chaos of our hearts and he can create new things, new places of relationship and intimacy with God and leading us in his will going forth to cultivate his creation. Our value of stillness, it compels us to introspectively look and investigate, where is my focus? Am I focused on electric shocks right now? Stillness asks us to check what we're being distracted by, and stillness slows us down to intentionally attend to God's presence because he's always present and waiting on us. And so as with simplicity, which we talked about last week, letting stillness filter all of our decisions and behaviors is very difficult. And these ideas of simplicity and stillness, they're so countercultural. They're so foreign to our current moment. And even, this is the case even within Jesus' church. Uh, the other day, my oldest daughter, Sophia, and I, we were having an in-depth conversation about how our intentional time of stillness that morning in Centering Prayer, which is something we'll talk about in our next session, uh, both my my whole family practices centering prayer, which is essentially just becoming still and focusing on a single word, much more on that next session. But Sophia and I were just kind of talking on our way to school about how our time of centering prayer stillness that morning really had not um, helped us that much. Uh, We were talking honestly about how um, even though we had engaged in the practice and stilled our hearts and minds and attuned ourselves to God's presence, that It just felt like for that morning, the emotional and the mental chaos of the day, it just seemed to win. It it really didn't help us. So I was chatting with her about it, and I I ended up concluding with her that even even when the frantic emotions and the, the mental runaway train seems to just win out and overcome the stillness that God wants to carry in our hearts through our day uh, with Him— that we always have the scriptures. We always have the words of God and we can go to them and they can objectively guide us to the truth, no matter what we're feeling. And we always have to let God's truth shape our experience, no matter what. And so right in that moment, I glanced over my shoulder and I read a scripture that was posted up on a corner sign of one of the local churches in our neighborhood. It was that classic verse from Psalm 46 that says, be still and know that I am God. And I thought, oh, this is perfect. God is providing outside scripture for us to just meditate on, even though we've had a rough morning. Be still and know that I am God. Amazing. The only problem was the letter D from the word God had fallen off of the sign. So the verse literally read, be still and know that I am go. (laughs) 
I mean, oh, it was tragic, but we both kind of laughed like crazy because I, I, I really think that this illustrates how we modern Western Christians, how we think about spiritual growth. We rush through our reading and our prayer times, sometimes more focused on what's ahead in the day than on truly being still and just listening for God's direction for the day. We unconsciously adopt the chaotic pace of our culture, and we think that that's normal. And so our fast movement and our disordered day, it keeps us from the grand purpose that God actually intends, which is soul healing. The church has always been a place of soul healing, and the church has always been a community of soul healers. But that work, it's not necessarily measurable outwardly right away. And soul healing, both personally and healing souls, working in the process of being with other people, it's a very slow, lifelong work. And so what happens in the American church is we want to equate spirituality with outward measurables. We mistakenly begin to equate spirituality with outward action, while we neglect actual deep inward transformation, which happens slowly and in quiet places. I'm increasingly persuaded that a posture of stillness is one of the most needed things in today's current church setting, if we're going to see real transformation and revival. We and the world around us, this world needs communities of humans who have slowed down and attuned themselves to God's presence and His love and listened and received His wisdom for true well-being. And then from that place, they carry out his effective and good activity in the world around them. We need the Holy Spirit to once again hover over the chaos, both the outward chaos and the inward chaos, and empower us as his church to live in the midst of the disorder and bring order to it. Now, I don't want anybody to mishear this language of simplicity and stillness as only an inward journey. There is actually tons of measurable outward fruit from our lives that God expects. But that outward fruit has to come from an inward abiding and remaining and resting and being still in his love first. You can't have the second without the first. You can't have the outward without the inward. It won't be genuine and it won't be lasting. Listen to the words of Jesus in John 15. Remain in me. As I also remain in you, no branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Just a little bit further down in the chapter, verses 9 and 10, Jesus says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now, remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. Stillness is about remaining and abiding. Stillness is about focusing and attuning to God's constant love for us, the Trinitarian love. That statement that Jesus makes blows my mind every time I read it. As the Father loves me, so have I loved you. As the eternal Father loves the eternal Son, that is the love that God has for us right now, in this moment, wherever you are, whatever you're doing.
as the Father loves Jesus, so are you loved in the same way. And so a remaining, uh, a, a remaining and an abiding heart living out of that love works hard for God because that heart is bursting with God and God's activity in them and for the sake of others. And so being still goes beyond just being still and hearing the words. Stillness is listening and then actually allowing that word to shape our internal belief and behavior outwardly. So stillness is listening and then behaving actually according to God's words. So to just hear the opening words, for example, of Psalm 23 is one thing. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. We've all heard it a thousand times. It's stitched into a million pillows and on a thousand Christmas cards. But to focus in stillness and let that passage shape our behavior as if it's absolutely true. Now that's something entirely different. It can't be rushed. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Being still enables us to ask, okay, is the Lord my shepherd? Who? Who is shepherding my life? Who is guiding and influencing my life right now? Being still asks, what are my wants? We become aware of our wants. Why do I have these particular wants? Are these the good shepherd's wants? Have I experienced green pastures? Why haven't I? Or why am I experiencing green pastures? Are the waters of my life still? Why not? Stillness brings us to a place where we can actually ask these types of questions and not rush off to our day, but allow the text to shape us. And this is a lifelong, slow, and steady process. Values like simplicity and stillness can be intimidating because they are so foreign to us. But what we need to remember is that with these values and growth in Christ, it's always slow and steady. In small increments, we begin to engage with these ideas and then practice these things. And that is how the kingdom comes. The tortoise really does win the race when it comes to the kingdom of God. So as a challenge for you, start small. Try to carve out 10 minutes to just deeply focus on one passage of the Bible. Read it slowly. Oh, maybe Psalm 23, maybe John 15. Read it slowly over and over and let it read you. Let the words come off the page and stay with them. And then journal about what you receive, not in a rushed way. Ask more questions, journal more, then go forth and obey out of that. Uh, Honestly, an incredible place to become still and really attuned to God is by staring and listening to Jesus. Stare at Jesus and listen to Jesus. Spend time in the Gospels. Watch Jesus of Nazareth. Watch his life. Watch his rhythms. Learn from Jesus how he handled the chaos of the crowds and the disorder of his disciples, but he was always present enough to do God's perfect will for the, for the well-being of everybody around him. So next week, we're going to detail how we can emulate Jesus's rhythms of times of withdrawal and times of engagement, times of silence and solitude that actually led to godly speech and loving community. But I would encourage us, be still and focus on the cross of Jesus. On the cross, Jesus took decisive action 
against the chaos of our lives. He didn't come and crush chaos with power. He came and he absorbed the complete disorder of death into his very being, our death. It's at the cross that we can become truly still. We no longer need to run from our guilt and our shame because Jesus, from the cross, he forgives us and he has absorbed all that is wrong with us. We have to let that cross meditation sink in deep over and over and over that we can be still and no longer run from guilt and shame at the cross. God expresses his love to us perfectly through the cross. The cross tells us that he wants us so bad, that he loves us so much, that he would die to forgive us, to take our place, to heal us, and to have us. And the cross is not the end of the Christian story. We need to be still, slow down, focus our attention, and ponder over and over the reality of the historical, literal resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth from the dead. In the most explosive action the universe has ever experienced, Jesus came out of the stillness of death, and he conquered it with forever life. And so we who follow him loyally, we are awarded eternal life. And that is a life that will be forever Heaven, the kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, that will be a life that is forever perfectly attuned and focused on God's love. And so in many ways, the resurrection and the result of the resurrection is it returns us to garden relationship with God. So let's wrap this up. Stillness. It's the intentional action that we take to slow down and attune our focus upon God's presence. One of the best places to focus is on Jesus in the Gospels, his life, his miracles, his words, his teachings, the cross, his death, and his resurrection. I really want to encourage you, as this teaching wraps up, that you, you take out your earbuds, turn off the phone, find a quiet place, and, and begin to engage slowing down. Really investigate what's driving you, what's driving your heart, what's driving your decisions, because God the Holy Spirit is hovering. He's hovering and present over the chaos and disorder of, of our lives, and his love is infinite, and he wants to slow us down and, and then speak to us and truly guide us into the purposes for which God made us. Have a great week. Blessings.